electronic Bible. It's going to be in Luke chapter 12. In just a few moments, I want to talk about where your treasure is. Where your treasure is. Where your treasure is. Um, some people may think, well, I don't have, a, I don't have much treasure. Um, and it just really depends on what you define as treasure, I think. Luke chapter 12, verse number 13. We're going to go down there. And it says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to him, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. That's a powerful story powerful story. The question was, I want to kind of go back through this a little bit slower and analyze it a little bit. The question was in verse 13 about an inheritance or and a brother's unwillingness to share it. When you read the full context of the story, it almost sounds like he's implying that this guy is greedy to want something that maybe might not have belonged to him or maybe he just wanted it all for himself. Because we, uh, we get that from what Jesus said. You know, he's talking about being greedy. Um, and in verse 15, Jesus tells him, he says, uh, he says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. How many know there's different kinds of greed? Different kinds. There's some people that have greed to one degree. Boy, say that fast five times. Greed, greed to one degree. Greed to a degree. And there's different levels. And you see that. Um, and then he says this. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. If we ever lived in a world where it put a high price on possessions or a high worth on possessions i believe it's today people think that their possessions are just you know they they want so much that they're willing to do just about anything to make sure they've got the nicest this and the nicest that and and whatever else and i'm not going to stand up here and tell you that it's it's bad to have nice things we all want nice things but when nice things have you, 
that's where the difference is. They can actually control you so much where you just have a drive and a desire where that becomes God in your life. And that's really what this story was talking about. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. In our world today, it seems like many people have a lot of everything. Um, and when you talk about poverty there are some people that are truly poor but there are some people that think poor means I don't have cable TV um, or I don't have three cars um, and doing without something I mean there are people that are folks they're doing good to have their utilities paid. Yeah. And they don't have internet. They don't have phone. They don't have TV. They don't have a lot of stuff. And they barely have food. And when it gets all right down to it, I think when we put it in perspective, if all of these things were gone tomorrow, and... Uh, they could be. Would it be so devastating? I mean, yes, it would be hard. No question. But would it be so devastating that it would be difficult to just really grasp? I know this has no spiritual context at all, but um, uh, maybe slightly, but not very much. But there's a story called The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Mm -hmm. And he thought he could take everything away. And then these people would, because everything was all about stuff. And then when he took everything away, somehow they found still that they could sing and they could have joy. Of course, it wasn't put in a God context, but he was amazed. They don't have their stuff, and how can they still sing? Well, we know how we can still have joy and how we can still have something on the inside of us, even when all our stuff is gone. Psalm 62.10 says, Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Do not set your heart on them. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Do not put your trust in those things. It's okay to increase. We all want nice things. It's not wrong to have nice things. I heard uh, Brother... Kenneth Hagin Sr. one time he was talking about how some people thought, well, they didn't think that uh, a preacher should drive a nice car because if he drove a nice car, that meant there was something wrong. And he says, oh, yeah, well, let's keep the preacher poor uh, so we can keep him humble. And he said, well, if you, if you use that logic, why don't you just let him ride a donkey and then he'll be more humble than anybody. It's like, well, you know. It depends. It really depends on who's looking at it. And I'm not saying that because I'm a preacher. I'm just saying it for anybody. I don't look at other people. I don't think we should look at other people just because they have a lot of things and say, boy, I wish I had that kind of stuff. Maybe you don't. There are some people that have uh, nice things. And, uh, you know, it's hard for me to say some people, you, some people may look at somebody that has a really uh, a lot of stuff. And they're thinking, you know, 
I know they're Christians, but do they really need all that stuff? I mean, do they? What if they gave their wealth away to help people? How do we know they don't? People that have God as the center of their life give regardless. Whether they have little or they have a lot, they give. And just because they have more doesn't mean they don't give more. Now, there are some stingy people that don't. And there are some times when people get their eye on the treasure that's in their lives or in somebody else's life. And they look at that and they so focus on that, they miss out what God really wants for them. Verse 16, Jesus talked about the ground. The, the, the ground that this man was harvesting and it yielded an abundant harvest. He was rich and he faced a dilemma. Well, what am I going to do with all of this? It's like he thinks he created it or something. Can I tell you that we don't really create the stuff we are given, we're entrusted the things that we have in order for it to happen. And God puts us in certain places in order for certain things to happen. In verse 17, he thought to himself, he says, you know, thinking to yourself is really not a bad thing to do. How many have ever thought to yourself? Yeah, you pondered over something. You thought to yourself. Uh, you know, if thinking to yourself or pondering over a solution is the only way to solve a problem, then there is a problem. Because there's a, there's a situation that you face and thinking about it, and pondering over it is not really going to bring you to the solution. You will never come. You will never come up with the best answer by yourself. I came up with this today. I was writing the. I was. I was going over these notes, and I wrote this down. I thought that sounds pretty good. You will never come up with the best answer by yourself. I can stand witness to that because I can think something really sounds great. And, uh, and Annette is my sounding board, and I'll say, hey, what do you think this about this? And she'll make think it sounds okay. But you know, sometimes things sound real good when you're thinking them out. But then when somebody else thinks them through, it's like, you know, I didn't think about that part. Because it changes a lot of stuff along the way. Um, but in verses 18 and 19, he said... Then he said, he moved from thought to action and his mind began to race down the path, really, I think, to I've arrived because after all, it's all about me. It's all mine. Nobody's going to tell me what to do with it. I'm going to decide what I should do with this because in verse 16, it said the ground yielded a harvest, but the man was only a caretaker of what was entrusted to him. We are all caretakers of what we've been entrusted. That's all we are. We're caretakers. Everything that you have is still going to be here when you leave. Everything that I have is still going to be here when I leave. It was here before in some form or fashion. It'll be here when I'm gone. I don't take any of it with me. In verse 20, Jesus said, your life will be demanded. God said to him, you fool, your life will be demanded. Who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You can look around and see great 
edifices that people have built so that they can have some type of memorial to know that they were here on this earth. And may I tell you that there is no more uh, powerful legacy that we can leave as children of God than to leave something that will make an eternal impact. I want you to think for just a moment. Think about somebody who that you maybe know or knew that made a huge impact on your life, was a great role model, provided positive things for you in your life. And you can think and you can think, man, that was a really great influence in my life. I want you to think about that. Many times that individual or those people that you may think of, they don't have big monuments built. They don't have all of the things that they may have left. But what they did leave lives right in here, mm -hmm. right inside of you. And if they are godly people that have made those godly differences in your life, those impacts are eternal. There is a day of reckoning that every one of us will have. And we must realize that we have what we have on this earth will 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 not last in we're not going to take it with us. Somebody said one time, I've never seen a U-Haul attached to a hearse. Because it's just not going to happen. We're only caretakers. James 4, 13 and 14 says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are in the midst. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Well, 2020 was a year that uh, I, I belonged to a pastor's Facebook page and heard pastors talking about this and they're reflecting on it now where they thought, you know, 2020, great, perfect year a vision, you know, you, you get the little the little inference there. 2020 is a great year of vision and what God's going to do in the church. And nothing worked out the way anyone thought that it would. I, I'd be very, very surprised if anybody said, oh, yeah, 2020 was just as I thought it would be. I don't think anybody expected what, what, what happened in 2020. But I do believe this. I do believe that 2020 was a powerful year. In spite of everything, we're commanded to give thanks in everything, not because of everything, but in everything. I heard our, our district pastor, uh, Brother Cargo, who incidentally is is retiring this year. Um, anyway, um, but he said he said this. He said, uh, you know, he said, I've never seen more preaching going out than in 2020 because it's going out. One of, one of the pastors joked and he said, he said, it was like overnight, wham, we were all TV evangelists. Because none of us did streaming until this happened. I mean, it's like only the big churches did that. And little churches, we thought, well, I guess, I guess you just need a phone and a computer, pretty much, an internet. I mean, and, and it works. And um, I think the devil 
doesn't like the results of what happened out of 2020 as far as the church is concerned because I think the church is emboldened and empowered even more to do more damage to the enemy's territory than ever before. And we realize that, you know, we're not going to sit still and do nothing because we, we had a lot of time away from folk to be able to pray and ponder exactly what we think God wants us to do. And I think it's going to be a powerful time. In verse 21, he said, this is how it will be for those who store up things for themselves, those who are not rich toward God. What does it mean to be rich toward God? Rich toward yourself or toward God, meaning, meaning are you taking all of your focus, the things that are important to you, the things that are valuable to you, are you using those things for yourself or are you using them for God? We all have time, talent, treasure, abilities, and all of those things. And are we fulfilling what we want as self or are we fulfilling what God wants? Where is your treasure? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, for God said, let light shine out of darkness made, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us so in other words Jesus is our treasure. As a follower of Jesus Christ, he's the most valuable thing that we have because he is our Savior, our soon-coming King. And he is the treasure that we have in jars of clay. Why? So we can show that his all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So we want to show people that this life that I live is because of him and not because of me. I point it all to Jesus. The followers of Jesus Christ, our treasure is Jesus inside us. We must be continually certain that we keep him first in our lives and not be distracted from all the things that we could store up for ourselves so that he remains the treasure. Now, guys, I got something here for you. That bride that you married however long ago, um, and you think, man, she is so special. She is my, my sweetheart, my treasure, my, my wonderful, my wonderful special lady. And the thing is, if not careful as time goes by, people can get comfortable it goes both ways. Maybe, gals, you, you thought, boy, this guy, he is just something else. He's just at the top for me and everything else. And then, you know, we're going we're gonna to be all lovey-dovey and we're going to be all just, you know, there together and stuff. I heard one guy say, he said, you know, I found out that, that, that uh, my, my wife, when we were dating, she, she didn't seem to be very strong. But after we, uh, after we got married, I figured out she was a lot stronger than I thought she was. Why, she could open her own doors. <laughs> um, 
where your treasure is. So if we still treasure that love, are we different now than we once were? Have we slacked off a bit? Have we been complacent? Complacency is not just in human relationships. It can be in our spiritual life as well. We can be complacent in the things of God. We can be not as showing of the treasure. Oh, when I got saved, it's like, oh man, let me tell you about Jesus. And now it's hard for people to find out about Jesus. And it's the same you. And it's the same him. It's the same treasure. What changed? Um, Jesus says, Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He's the same always. So we got to be we got to be realizing who Jesus is in our lives. And if he's the same Savior, the same treasure that we found, and we know that he took away our sins, never to be remembered against us again, so that we are no longer standing before him impure, but we're holy, we're clean, we're righteous before him because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that flows through us, then praise the Lord, we're still, we're still the righteous of Christ a righteousness of God through Jesus Christ today like we were back then. But maybe we just need to show it just a little bit more. That's been a great place to say amen. amen. I was thinking about this tonight and I don't, I don't, I don't say this to, to boast on myself, but I was, I was thinking about this uh, as, as we were getting in the car tonight and I, I opened my door for my wife and and uh, some people may think that's odd. It's like, no, I don't just do it when I'm around where other people see me because that's not why I do it. I do it all the time. We should do it all the time. We should do whatever we can to elevate the treasure of Jesus in our lives so that other people can see the treasure of Jesus and who he is in our lives, regardless of where we are and regardless of the situation. It's not... Let's look around before we start talking about Jesus. Is this, are we just in the company of believers? Well, the pastor, they're going to think I'm nuts if I'm going to start talking about my treasure and Jesus and all that kind of stuff around people that don't know him. You might be surprised. There are people that are hungry for God. They are hungry for something more than what they've got right now. And they, their treasure is not Jesus. Their treasure is something else. First Timothy chapter six, verses six through 12 says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. How many know what contentment is? Contentment. It means that I'm going to be satisfied. I'm going to be content. Godliness with contentment. It means I'm going to be satisfied and contented in my relationship with the Lord and I'm going to get great gain out of being content in my godliness with the Lord. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we, we will be content with that. But those that want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap in, 
and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That we're talking about not money. Money is just a means. It's what's done with it that could be good or bad. It's like the, it's like the, uh, the gambler told the preacher one time. He waved a $100 bill in front of the preacher's face. He says, preacher, I got $100 I want to give you. Now, I want you to know right now that I, I earned this money gambling. This is the devil's money, but you can have it if you want to. And the preacher didn't even hesitate. He just snatched it out of his hand. Then he said, well, the devil's had it long enough. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this. And here it is. Pursue righteousness. Pursue that relationship with God. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. There's, there's a lot of stuff in there. Pursue those things. Pursue a right relationship with God. Pursue character that shows people who Jesus is. Let other people see the faith of God and the love that you have for God and the endurance to, to whenever stuff isn't going quite your way, that you're still the man of God. You're still the woman of God. That's the character of God and the nature and gentleness. You mean I got to be gentle and, and, and kind of calm and collected when all this stuff is going on? Absolutely, because if you pursue, pursue righteousness, godliness, and faith, and love, then you'll be able to endure, and He will give you the gentleness. These are things that are feeding into the fruit of the Spirit in your life. To which you were called when you were made. And then He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life. To which you were called when you were made, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And our fight is a good fight of faith. Where is our treasure? Where is your treasure? Our treasure is in Jesus Christ. He's who we fight the good fight of faith for. Luke chapter 12, verse number 22. This is a little further down the same chapter. That Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? I've had people tell me, I'm just a worrier. I'm a worrier by nature. It runs in my family. I get it from my mom's side of the family or my dad's side of the family or whatever it is. I'm just a worrier. Just stop it. How can you stop worrying? Because the Bible says stop it. Just stop. He said don't do it. Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, well, how do you do that? Well, sometimes it's hard. Mm -hmm. We have a 17-month-old granddaughter, and she's learning. She's learning what emotions, different emotional ranges there are. 
and she has learned what anger is and she is learning how to express and channel that anger and we're trying to redirect it. I have a, a scratch on top of my head that I didn't really point out to anybody, but she did that. But she didn't do it out of anger. Now, if she'd done it out of anger, that would have been a whole different thing. She didn't know she did it. We were just playing around and she did that. And I was unthinking enough to get close enough where she did it twice. Because I thought, well, that was just a one-off, but it was a two-off. But, um, but when the understanding comes and you say, no, don't do that, there can come a moment of defiance <laughs> that says, I will do that. I was a defiant child. I mean, until I learned. My mom told me, and of course, when I was a kid, we used to get whoopings. Yes. And uh, yes. my mama told me that she was at the beauty shop or something. I, I don't remember this. I just remember the story. And she said, I was, uh, she told me to, to, to sit down and be quiet because that's what kids did then. Yes. They didn't run around everywhere. They had to sit still, be quiet. And uh, she told me to sit down, but I wanted to get up. I was probably, I don't know, three or something like that. She swatted my behind and set me back down. She said that went over three times. She said, but I won. <laughs> and I eventually sat there. And then I learned. And while I'm telling to myself, I, 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 th this is fresh on my mind. I just told this story last week, I think. My daddy was preaching when I was about four years old. And, uh, you know, the only thing I could do in church was play on an iPad. No, uh, we didn't have those. We didn't have those back then. Um, if we had them, I wouldn't have been playing on one. Um, I was allowed because, you know, it, it's hard for kids to be still. But it was a requirement when I was a kid. And so the way I could be still was, is um, I was allowed to have a piece of paper and a pencil or pen and I could write on a notebook. And a lot of times I would do that while the preaching was going on and all that. Well, one particular night, my dad was preaching at this church. That we, I think it was church we went to. And um, anyway, I remember this story personally. It wasn't told to me. I remember it. I was four years old. And uh, my daddy stopped preaching. Uh-oh. And he told me to stop talking. And I stopped talking. Until the next time, a little bit later. And he stopped preaching again. And he didn't say stop talking then. Then he says, come up here and sit on the altar. And there I am walking up that side aisle. And I just knew everybody was looking at me. My face was so red. And there I had to sit on the altar the rest of my dad's sermon while he preached. And I was so embarrassed. But I learned. Our own children 
one thing that used to get under my skin was they would ask something and I would give them an answer, yes or no. And uh, they knew not to ask again because I'd already given an answer. But I can remember one time, I can't, I can't even remember what it was. It's been so long ago. Nick says, uh, Nick, he was saying, I said, I said, go ahead, ask me again. He's like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> not going to do it. Not going to do it. But the, when, we, when we find out we're not supposed to do something, we learn when we do it and we mess up. And hopefully we don't do it again. <laughs> Worry just causes strife. It causes difficulty. It causes, it causes all kinds of emotional turmoil. And I know it's humanly easy to do. But when you get the Bible out to help you through situations and you're going through a worrisome time and you get out the Bible and it's Jesus himself, the Son of God, our treasure, and he says, do not worry. And you're thinking, oh yeah, Jesus, but you don't have to deal with my circumstance. No, no, he just says, do not worry about these things because if I can, he goes on to say, he said, you know, consider all of these things. And he said, he said, you can't, you can't add a single hour to your life by worrying. You'll probably take hours away. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why worry about the rest? Why worry about anything? And he says, verse 27, consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? If you, if you don't have to worry about the basic things in life and he's going to make sure you're taken care of, he said, don't worry about anything else either. What you will eat, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagans, the pagan world runs after such things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows exactly what you need. But seek His kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. There it is. Seek the kingdom of God, the treasure of Jesus. You have Him in your life. Keep Him close. Seek the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. He says, verse 32, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, church. There are treasures that we can maybe have physically here on the earth, but there is a treasure in heaven that we have that will never fail. Because here it is, verse 34, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is there your heart will be also my treasure is in Jesus Christ that's where my treasure is and so that's where my heart is my heart is in my treasure if my treasure is in my possessions my heart is going to be in my possessions if my treasure is in relationships my heart is going to be in relationships and it's much more important for our treasure to be in Jesus Christ because we know that he is our treasure that where our treasure is when our treasure is in Jesus our heart 
is there and we're turned toward Him and others see that. And it is a bright witness and a light to them. Our treasure is to be guarded and no earthly treasure will ever compare to our eternal treasure. Jesus. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Father, I thank you for this word tonight. And Lord, as we enter into a time of prayer and praise, I ask, Lord, that you will just honor us as we forget about all of the things that are distracting us in our lives. Lord, all of the things that are going on, the things that can be worrisome, the things that are out of our control, Lord, the things that are maybe even things that I shouldn't even be looking at or focusing on right now, and I just want to focus on you first and foremost for my salvation and my commitment to you. Thank you for washing my sins away as far as the east is from the west. And Lord, if you can do that, you can do anything. Thank you, God, because you're my treasure. Let my heart turn toward you. Be ever turned toward you because where my treasure is, Jesus, there's my heart. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah, hallelujah.